Good afternoon. We are joined today on our latest Viking Voices podcast episode. We've got men's soccer head coach Greg Brisbane with us. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be on. Excited. A little nervous. It's all right, man. You know, falls in the air. Rain is falling. It's uh, it's supposed to be soccer season, but we'll kind of we'll kind of go around that a little bit. But uh, you know, you're entering year 20 here at Western. Um, you know, head coach eight years. Let's talk a little bit about Viking soccer and Greg Brisbane and everything, uh, everything that we can talk about the Vikings. But uh, first of all, start a little bit about your background, uh, about yourself, where you're from, high school, college you went to, and, uh, and your soccer background. Yeah, um, you know, 20 years has gone by pretty quick. Um, originally, you know, I lived in Georgia um, as a young kid and then moved out here probably around 1987. So. Uh, Kitsap County, went to North Kitsap, um, the Paulsville area, and then I was not the most academic um, student, so getting to a four-year college um, was, a, was a path and a journey, so Olympic CC, and then Edmund CC, and then eventually uh, wound up at SPU. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I just wanted to play soccer. I didn't realize the whole academic process and all that. So, um, but I figured it out eventually. We'll, we'll certainly talk about the academic progress because it's one of the strengths of this Viking team. But, um, you know, talk a little bit about just your 20 years associated with this program. You came in and you, you helped out with, with Travis Cannell and, and how you got to Bellingham. You played a little professional soccer and I believe Tallahassee, Florida, but uh, coached over on the Kitsap Peninsula where you're from, but talk about how you got to Bellingham and how the process started. And like I said, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, after my cup of coffee and the EISL with Tallahassee, um, you know, I knew Todd Stauber and Travis from SPU and Aaron Bellingham running the Puget Sound Soccer Academy. Um, they asked me to come up and work camps and, and that was a blast. You know, those were so fun summers, you know, nine to noon at a camp in Burlington, then one to four, we drive to Oak Harbor or South Whidbey. And then we have a team camp at five to seven or five to eight in Stanwood. And we were grinding, um, you know, young coaches grinding away, living in Bellingham. It was a fun time. Um, all lived together down Ellis street. So lots of good stories. Uh, and they were the coaches at Western at the time, so they asked me to help out as well and um, was able to do that and enjoyed it and kind of never left. Um, so, and that's, you know, women's team and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I've, it's, uh, it's been crazy um, that it's been 20 years, but um, that's kind of how it all started. And you were involved with the Rangers, of course, and a number of select programs. And like you said, it was unique that you were associated with both programs. Uh, that's kind of the way it rolled before they split in half. But talk about just working with Travis. And I know that you guys are good friends. Uh, you guys uh, kind of learn a lot from each other. But talk about that relationship that you have with Travis Cannell, who, you know, has been here over 25 years. Um, now he's leading the, the women's program solely and built them to an elite level. Uh, talk about that friendship that you have with Travis and, and, and some of the things that you've learned from him, both, both SPU grads, but also uh, both just, you know, great, great leaders. Yeah, no, I mean, when I was in high school, I would actually go and watch the colleges I want to go to and watch them play. So I remember watching 
Todd and Travis at SPU and, um, you know, watching UW and UCLA play and UCLA had all those Kobe Jones. And so, um, so I knew Travis as a player and then we were able to play together after SPU, you know, the Bellingham Marlins and the Orcas. And um, so we became friends and then just, you know, working with him was, was awesome. I've learned so much from him. And at the time you don't realize it. Um, but being in my role now and then dealing with situations, you know, I do look and I go, well, how would, what did Travis do in this situation? Um, and then our offices are right next to each other in Carver. And, you know, we, we, uh, chat quite a bit about each of our teams and, um, we're, I, I watch his team every time I can. And, give him my opinion and he gives me his opinion on my guys. And, um, I, I imagine we know about each other's teams more than a lot of people think we do. Um, so it, it's awesome. Um, you know, and, and I think the reason that both of us, you know, especially him being successful and me is we did have to split the programs for it to work. Um, and, and I think we also knew going into it back in 03 when we said, let's do this, that we knew what we we're getting into and, uh, you know, and we're going to make it work and make it the best situation we could. And I, I thought we did a pretty good job. You know, it wasn't the both, you know, there wasn't one year where both teams were super successful, usually one or the other, um, but it was hard. Um, you know, there's times when it was just Trav and I and 60 athletes uh, and it was, you know, double days in the preseason that was crazy. But, um, end of the day, we were able to get the, the program split and ironically, right when I left and Travis, the women's team gets super successful. So I might've had something to do with it too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, just given, given, you know, time to do things right and run a program right. Um, and we both had, you know, good ideas of what we wanted it to be. And so given those opportunities, I think you're, you're seeing the results. Definitely. And, and, you know, talk about the results of this program over the last four seasons, you know, you've, you've really, you know, you're in year eight, but over the last four seasons, you've really brought this program to an NCAA championship level team. Um, you know, 40, 22 and 11 has been the record over those four seasons, two NCAA championships, a GNAC championship. What's been the ingredient to the success and the rise of the program? Um, you know, there's probably a number of factors, but I would love to hear from you. What, what the rise has been like, um, especially to compete in those two NCAA championships. And at the men's soccer level, it's very difficult to get into that field of 48 or field, field of 56. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, I think it's the most difficult sport to get to the national tournament. <clears throat> I might be biased, but I've also been involved in other sports and I keep track of college athletics. So it is super difficult. Uh, I don't know if there's one ingredient. Um, I think it's a combination of many things. Um, you know, one is overall talent. Um, and no knock against former players. We've had a lot of great players. But I think the group that we've had from 2016, the groups, overall as a team, it, it's better talent. Um, so that helps. You've got to have that. Um, and then you got, we, you know, in 2015, I, I, I made some changes because it, it wasn't good. The, uh, the, we had good players, but the results weren't good. The, you know, and so we just made changes in the program and uh, you know, at the end of the day, what are we doing here? What do you want out of this? Um, and, and so we kind of, that's how it kind of started. And um, 
you know, and then you've got to have a bit of luck um, as well. Um, and then also you, I had to look at myself. I had to get better. I was, it wasn't doing a good enough job. And so um, running sessions, team meetings, you know, traveling, fundraising, recruiting, and then coaching education. You know, I felt I, you know, I reflect every year and I just had to get better and I wanted to get better. And so I, I'm trying to get better and still working on it. Um, got a lot to do, but I think the combination of those things um, has, has helped us. You know, the success on the field has been one thing, but I think one of the things that you're going to say you're most proud of has been how this team has performed as student athletes and in the classroom. And uh, you've been able to field what we will call a starting 11 on the GNAC all academic team the last three years. Just today, you got your third consecutive United Soccer Coaches Team Academic Award. Talk a little bit about how important that is for you to mentor the complete student athlete and what that change has been like for the program to, to commit to those awards I just talked about. Yeah, no, I think it's the most important. Um, that was one of the things in 15 that we really stressed was academics. Because at the end of the day, it's about getting a good job after college, getting that degree. Um, and, and I really, I really like watching these kids. They, they're smart kids and when they apply themselves and they've got such fascinating degrees that some of them study, I enjoy learning about that. And so I, I talk with them about their classes and their degrees and what they're studying probably just as much as we do soccer before and after practice. Um, cause I really, I think it's fascinating. Um, and so I think, you know, that started, we had the coaches had to do a lot of leg work and getting them and, and showing that we cared also. You can't just say it, you know, you, we have to believe it. And, and now we've done a, such a good job that I don't have to do as much work as I used to because it's kind of a standard. When you come in the program, this is what is, is expected. And the current players kind of lead that um, and they show by example. And so um, it's just fun. It's good. It's good. Talk about some of the majors. You're right. They fill out some lines. You got some plastic and composite engineering and supply change management and cell and molecular biology. I, my head kind of spins when I'm writing those news releases because I'm like, how do they, how do they balance all this? Yeah. I mean, it's what's really good and crazy is these guys are going to have good jobs at 23 to 25 and they're going to be making a lot of money. <laughs> Thankfully that wasn't my route. Cause if I had, that kind of money at 25, that would have been trouble. We'll always look forward to seeing what they do after. I know there's a lot of alums out there that have supported the program recently that have great jobs in the technology sector and all over the Northwest. So we look forward to what the Christian Rodders and Cameron Unks and uh, Austin Balls of the world are going to be doing next. Um, uh, kind of transitioning a little bit, talking about two players that are on your current team. Actually, you have three international players, but we'll talk about, you know, Drew Farnsworth from New Zealand and George Kulava from Germany, they both arrived in Bellingham kind of almost sight unseen about four years ago. And, uh, you know, that was something new for the program to kind of dabble into the international market. I know you've had some in the past that have had some of that background, but Division II landscape of men's soccer uh, has a lot of international players. Talk about how important it was to get these two into your program and how well they fit into the culture of your program. Because every time I see it, I – I see two great team players in George and Drew. And then, you know, you also have Yakov, who was uh, from born in Russia. Yeah. No, that was one of the changes. You know, I have a, I have a plan for the program. We haven't achieved the goals I want. I'm not going to quite share those yet. But um, 
one of the ingredients in that is you you have to have international players um, in men's soccer, you know, because if you look at the the final four at D2, I mean, I think two years ago, the the four teams that put out their starting 11, there is not one American in that group. Um, And so that's just kind of the way it is. And so I don't think we're ever going to be a program with 15 internationals. And I don't know if I want it to be like that. Um, But we do have to sprinkle in some internationals. Um, And George and Drew have been fantastic. It always hasn't been the smoothest ride um, because there are, there's a period of getting comfortable for both the coaches, the the current players and the internationals, because, you know, they're going to a different place. They've never seen, you know, the way we do it. We're not allowed, you know, it's just not feasible for them to do an official visit from New Zealand or Germany. So, so they've got to get comfortable. And, you know, one of the, George's first game, I think, as Chico, we're playing, it's hot, it's college soccer. He doesn't know, you know, when they come over, they think, they don't know that there's different rules. So I sub him off and he's furious. Like he's throwing water. I'm like, what's going on here? And then I realized, oh, he thinks he's done for the game because internationally he can't sub back in. So I was like, had one of my assistants go call him down and put him back in the game. Just little things like that. Um, and then learning from those two, and we had a French kid, Louis, also, who was a great teammate. Uh, I wish he had another year of eligibility. Just the, the culture that they bring is awesome for the current players and us coaches. Um, and I really think Bellingham and Western and our program is really good for George and Drew and Louis. Um, we still connect with Louis back in France and – and, you know, George and Drew rarely go home to their homeland. Um, I encourage them to do it more, but they just love Bellingham, it seems. Um, and, and their teammates, you know, they're they're in a house with other six other guys right now. And so seeing that has been really uh, fulfilling and, you know, it's, it's fun to watch. And they've, you know, they're very talented um, as well. I'm going to spin off that a little bit. You know, in the GNAC, you've got a little smattering of everything. You've got a school in Canada. You've got a school in Montana. You've got a school in Idaho. You've got, you know, a lot of different moving parts. Um, and you talked about the, the landscape of Division II soccer. Talk about the GNAC and how tough of a conference that is from a travel standpoint. And talk about how difficult that is when you have, you know, I think last year you had four straight road games in four different, basically, states. One in Washington at St. Martin's, one at Northwest Nazarene in Idaho, one at Montana State Billings, obviously in Montana, and then you played at Simon Fraser across the border. Your, your teams are challenged in more ways than just beyond the pitch, but talk about how that landscape of the conference has, has made your program better, especially yeah. with the rivalry with like Seattle Pacific and Simon Fraser. Yeah, and that's another area, you know, four or five years ago when we figured, okay, how are we going to get to the tournament? well, we have to win at Billings, you know, and you go through your season and you've got to probably get a tie again up at Simon and hopefully get a win at home against them. And so you go through all these scenarios and, you know, and then you have to win on the road and it's, it's hard and no knock against any of the programs, but there's such a different environment than Harrington field is. Um, and the time of the, the day that we play the game and, the amount of fans that are there or not there or that got recorded that were there. (laughs) Um, And each GNAC team 
has the, the makeup of their roster is different from, you know, you've got a more internationals at Billings and, and Simon Frazier has very good players um, in, in every spot. And, and, and any game with SPU, no matter what our records are, is going to be a battle um, because all those kids know each other. The coaches know each other. And it's just – it's the rival. So you've got all those. And it's just – and you're dealing with 18 to 20-year-old – 22-year-old kids who, end of the day, they don't know what's going on. Um, so it's hard. And I thought – I think we've done a really good job, the importance of – how we travel, how we prepare. I mean, the St. Martin's game has, that's been the Achilles heel for us for five years. And we finally have figured out how to win at that place, but it takes prep. It takes practice. And, uh, and so thankfully we've done a good job. Hopefully we can continue that when we get back on the field. You, you mentioned it early on there, the atmosphere at Harrington field. Um, how much of a game changer has that facility been uh, for this program? Just a little background for those that are listening. Up until 2014, uh, Viking soccer teams primarily played at Wacom Community College across town, some games at Civic Field, and even before that, there was a field on campus, but well before a lot of this. Talk about how much of a game changer that facility has been for you, how awesome it is to, you know, be on campus, and talk about that game night atmosphere you talked about, especially when, you know, we've had some of those games against Simon or SPU where you look up in the stands and it's a pretty good crowd. Yeah, no, it's, you know, words can't describe it. Um, I remember the days at Wacom and, and Coach Cannell and I would get there two to three hours earlier. We'd set up scaffolding for the film. We're doing everything. And I got my truck full of the balls. And, I mean, it was just, again, no complaints. That's just the way it was. And it was looking back at it, it was, it was kind of fun. Um, but now, Harrington, it's, I think it's the, the, best facility at you know definitely top four in d2 west coast it's got to be top 10 in any division um and there's a lot we can still do with it but the night games at harrington is such an advantage um and to train there all the time the convenience for the athletes the locker rooms right there um but with the fans above you you can't really hear them and then you can uh, and then alumni hill that's one of my favorite spots that's what it kind of named it but uh <laughs> you know that's that's yeah after big games and the current you know and we've got to win and then i let the guys go run to the fence and the alumni come down on the fence just seeing that you know uh puts chills on your neck so it's those are some great things to see and then yeah it's just it's hard to to beat us at Harrington. And so um, it's fun and singing in the locker room and, you know, numerous, numerous things, but um, so happy to have it and, uh, and thankful. So. Obviously there's been a number of great games at Harrington. I've, I've been here now six years, seen some of them, but I got to ask you about two games last year that were just incredible. And first is the Azusa Pacific game, uh, top five in the nation ended up being number one, you know, Cam Miller scores a late header, to tie it we ended up losing in double overtime I believe but then also the St. Martin's game I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again where uh, Nick Morgan scores literally a last second walk-off goal uh, to tie the game uh, talk about those two games specifically the St. Martin's game and uh, you know you see a lot in your career like you said 20 years as a coach and more as a player those two games have to be right up there yeah you know before the season as a coach I go through this the schedule and I look at okay we should win this. 
we might not win this. And, and, you know, Azusa Pacific on paper, we have no business beating that team. Um, but, and so I thought, okay, this is a loss that we can take and it's not going to affect us too much if we do our job in the other areas of the season. Mm-hmm. But our guys came and played and uh, one of our top players was sick. Um, and so it was the way they battled and played against those kids. And I had a good friend in the stands and he thought we were the better team that night. And as a coach in the moment, you know, you're like, I don't know. And, but that was so fun to see those kids and then Cam scoring that goal. And, and I thought we won it in overtime. You know, I thought, I thought we won it, but, but we didn't. And, uh, you know, I think that made us better. And then the St. Martin's game, you know, and everyone talks about that and, I'm going to shake Rob's hand and say, good, good win. And then we score. And, but then as a coach, I'm like, well, they had no business scoring the goal they scored. You know, um, we can do better than that. So, but that's the, that what shows the fight that this, this 2019 group had, you know, no matter what, they're not giving up. And, and we showed Nick heading it in and all this, but I rewinded it back to three or four passes before that and what Dakota did and what Farnsey did and all that led up to that goal a total team effort that we wouldn't give up and, and we found a way to score. Thankfully Obviously. we had a good assistant referee that night as well. <laughs> and it was a, you know, what a great season last year. You guys went to the NCAA championships, you know, you won the outright GNAC title, both you and the women's team swept the GNAC, you know, Harrington field, you know, had both titles raised at midfield. It had to be a special moment for you to see your guys raise that trophy um, after the one nothing win against Montana State Billings. And just what was that feeling like knowing that so much of the hard work that you and the players and all the coaches had put into that? Yeah, no, it's we hadn't won since 08. Um, and, and trophies are important to everybody. And uh, just seeing my team happy, that's one of the things that, that keeps me going and, and and I love it, um, you know. So winning at Harrington was special also, just because the way we did it. And I remember telling our Steve Card, the athletic director, I think two weeks before he was in the office, we're talking about the season. I go, Steve, we're going to clinch after Billings. We're going to clinch to GNAC, and then we are not have to worry and be stressed out. And he looked at me like I was crazy because some other things had to happen for that to work. Um, and it did. And we were, you know, we were able to clinch and we had our, you know, seat in the tournament. So um, that was a special night, a very special night for us. Well, let's turn a little bit back to a little bit about Greg, the soccer player. Um, tell us about your, your, like you said, your cup of coffee down in Tallahassee. And, uh, and I've got to ask you because I've seen the I've seen the photo of you at Edmonds. I think that was your sophomore year of college. You 26 goals in a season. Uh, so first tell us about the 26 goal season and then uh, a little bit about how you got to professional soccer in Tallahassee. Yeah, the Edmonds thing was, was interesting. So I went to Olympic first. And I guess that's what we call a gap year because I still played club and it was a little different. And, you know, I just wanted to go to a four-year school. Um, so I think the summer, it was in the summer before my first year at Edmonds, I just went, I just said, I'll go play Edmonds and see what that's, you know, because Olympic didn't have a team. So I just showed up to tryouts the first day. The coach had no idea who I was. <clears throat> I remember him in like the first 10 minutes coming up to me and go, so who are you and what's going on here? Um, so immediately, you know, had decent success my first year, played all the time, but so 
in the off season, you know, I was like, okay, how am I, how am I going to get to a four-year school? And so the path that I thought was the best was I'm going to have to score a lot of goals because that's going to bring attention for coaches. And so I trained, I got fit as I could, and um, I just went out and did it and scored a lot. And um, fortunately, I was able to wind up at SPU. And uh, so, yeah, that's how kind of that worked. Um, great two years at SPU and utility player. Um, and then the, the Tallahassee thing was another interesting. Um, my teammates kind of told me about the league. I really didn't know about it. It's a lot different than it is now um, back then. So there was a combine and you fly yourself out to, you know, whatever, I think it was St. Louis I went to and you played indoor and we didn't, you know, I didn't play indoor a lot. So I think it was a two day thing. And then they had this draft and I remember I was in class at SPU and my teammates, you know, were telling me, Hey, you got drafted 10th for Tallahassee. I went, awesome. You know, but it was a great learning because I, I kind of at the time I was young and I took it, took it for granted. So I kind of went into the season thinking I made it and, oh, I got drafted 10. This is going to be easy. And it wasn't. Even though I was a good soccer player, I was not a good indoor soccer player. And, and there's a difference because we would train outside sometimes and I was the best player. But indoor, I didn't figure it out. And, um, and so didn't play a lot that year. Um, but great learning, you know, it was a year at Florida State University, that city in the summer, they're paying for your apartment. You know, I'm not making a ton of money, any money, but just the experience and uh, we had cheerleaders and sometimes there were 7,000 people in the stands. I'm like, why are these people here with, you know, people buying my jerseys? I'm like, what are you guys doing? Cause I remember I tried to take my jerseys home after the first season and they said, no, we sold them. I'm like, well, who's buying this? <laughs> um, so anyway, the, in the off season, I wanted to, I was motivated cause I wanted to make like first team all conference. I wanted to be a starter. And so I trained and I went after it. And I remember in the winter, I, <clears throat> so I was at SPU and Cliff, uh, my coach goes, yeah, I had the league folded. And you know, it was devastating because I trained so hard and, you know, it, the league was what it was, but that was a goal I had. And now I was like, well, now what am I going to do? So, but fortunately Bellingham was here. So. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go back to a little bit what we talked about. You mentioned a little bit ago when that's when your players win at home, they go over to the fence and they kind of salute the alums up on alumni Hill. Um, but what I've seen is that the bond of, WW soccer and the men's program is pretty strong and the players come back and they support you. And I know there's been a, some, some good gatherings at the Archer and um, talk about the atmosphere and what that family atmosphere is like and, and how, how important the former players are to this program. Yeah. It's another reason why I really enjoy this job. Um, you know, I connect with a good group every week or two weeks. Um, and it ranges from soccer to what's going on in the world to anything. So it's, it's still fun connecting and seeing all those guys, you know, develop in their twenties and thirties and what they're going through. I had a, a guy last week text me that he's going to be a dad, you know? And so those things it's and getting invited to their weddings, um, which happened, you know, last summer I had like three weddings. So it's funny. So that's, it's pretty, I'm, pretty honored to, to do those things and get that text that, you know, he reached out. Um, and it's, you know, the guys check in, they care about the current players. They care about, 
the schedule and, and the team and everything in, in Western. So it's, it's fun to see. Um, and I love checking in on them and seeing what they're doing with work and, you know, how that's going and all that kind of stuff. Talk, I'm going to bring up a name here. I know there's a lot of great players that dot the, you know, we just put out a new record book and then you can probably go through there and pick out names and tell stories. But one, one, one alum in particular, uh, Oscar Jimenez, who has been a coach for you and a good friend, I know, um, he's risen to a really high level in the USL with Lou City and was up for an award last year. And you can turn on ESPN in the playoffs and watch him. How, how, how fun has it been to watch his perseverance and professional soccer and, and just turn on ESPN and see, see Oscar playing? Yeah, he's one of those former players that I connect with weekly. Um, and, you know, and to be honest with this whole pandemic in the last six months, I really stopped watching soccer because <clears throat> it was too hard to watch it and then maybe I will not coach anymore, you know, but I watch Oscar. He's the, the one team that I watch consistently and have been. And um, we usually connect after every game via text or a phone call and <clears throat> I get some inside scoop on what's going on. And, you know, I give him feedback. I always take notes when I'm watching him. I just can't stop doing it. Um, and most of the time I don't share it with him. I usually throw it away, but in case he asks, I've got notes for him, but he's fantastic. He's doing so well. His play is improved so much. Um, and so it's really fun to see, um, you know, I really hope he gets a chance at an MLS training camp. You know, that's what he wants. You know, he does, he's not asking for a roster spot right away. He wants to earn it. But he's getting older, and, and the league's a young league. So I just hope he gets the opportunity because he deserves it. Um, but it's so fun to watch him play. And, you know, he I ask him for advice on, you got this situation with the group. You know, what do you think, you know, as a, as a former player? And just remember when I coached when he was 15 years old playing for my, my club team and now what he's done, um, it, you know, can't beat it. I'm going to give you one last – Little question until we go into a little bit of lightning round here, but uh, what would you say has been your proudest moment as a coach at Western? Ooh, that's a tough question. Let's see. I mean, I don't think there's one moment. There's some moments that stick out. Um, the women's game I got to coach. My first head coaching gig, Travis was away out of town, and uh, – I believe it was 2008, and we are playing SPU women, who were very good at the time, and it was at Wacom, rainy. Um, on paper, we probably had no business winning that game. Um, one of our top players had to go to the hospital, broke her jaw. And some, we found a way to win the game. And I remember calling Trav afterwards, and he didn't believe me. I think he thought I was joking, you know. Um, <clears throat> and the other coach is so pissed, and – and the girls were so happy. That was so awesome to see. And they still talk about that game <clears throat> um, today. Um, the win over Dixie State, that was, <clears throat> that was a big one. Um, even though during the game, I'm like, we're going to win this game. We should win this game. And then we go to overtime. And then, you know, Steven scores that great goal. Um, but seeing the players so, so, I mean, Brady jumping up and then, Oscar and Connor Moe so happy, you know, just those moments really stick out. But the one moment, and I'm getting a little choked up here, is Haggard Hall in 2016. Um, 
and the bid to the get to the tournament. And, you know, I was on the rack and I kind of had an idea, but it was so tight with us getting in or not getting in and knowing the national committee can always change their mind on a Sunday. So I didn't really know. Um, and my players sure as heck didn't know because I didn't tell them anything. And they're, they're trying to read my body language. And, <laughs> and so once it was announced and that room went crazy, it was probably the proudest moment, um, I guess, you know, thinking about it. So, they, I mean, that was so fun, just the excitement, because uh, they worked hard for that, you know. And they worked super hard for that, and they, they earned it. I'm pretty sure you could have heard them down on the Bellingham waterfront. I remember that moment and uh, how excited they were. And you guys went on such a great late season run to get to that point. Wow, what a what a great moment. And then, uh, yeah, and that, that moment you talked about down in the regional at UC San Diego. I know there's a great photo that it's probably going to be the cover of this podcast where you are got your hands in the air. And I know your coaches yeah. are, are surrounding yeah. you. That's just a, a moment that uh, I know that you'll never forget and that we'll never forget. So good stuff there. But now uh, – that's some fun stuff. Uh, yeah. I hit you some, some, some quick questions, kind of get into the – get to know Greg Brisbane. But uh, tell us what's the best book you've read lately. Ooh, see, this is a good one. I read five books this summer, which is a record. Usually <laughs> it's a book a year. Um, I, I got two ties. I got probably Boys in the Boat. Outstanding. That was fantastic. And then uh, I've been reading a lot of John Grisham okay. and The Broker. And it's a little different, John Grisham, than he usually does. So I'm going with those two as my latest uh, top. I love it, man. When we get back, uh, you, you and Fuzzy can go and uh, talk rowing more now, right? Yeah, we actually I, – I see him every now and then in Sun Valley. So we, we do discuss that book occasionally. It, I, I read it this summer as well, man. It's, it's, I'd heard about it and, you know, following rowing, and then all of a sudden I read it and I couldn't put it down. It was amazing. Uh, it's, yeah, so. Yeah. All right, uh, TV show you have binged on lately? Uh, there's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the soccer documentaries that uh, Prime and Netflix have done have been fantastic. I wish those were out when I was a teenager. Um, but I was able to rewatch Lost all six episodes. Nice. And so most of the alums, 2007, 2008, both men's and women's team, we had a really good crew of lost fanatics where it got, I had rent a class or reserve a classroom in Haggard Hall on the Tuesday night. We would all show up at nine and watch lost and the room was silent. And then the next day, I think we had weights and, you know, we would spend the first 10 minutes with a group of just discussing the show last night and what we thought. So that's how crazy we were, awesome. but I was able to rewatch that one this, this summer. So Sunderland Till I Die is one of them probably on Netflix you've watched? Oh, yeah. 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 You, you and yeah. Butch can commiserate a little bit on that one. But then also, uh, the, what, the, the Man City, uh, kind of all or nothing, is that the other one? Yeah, the Man City. Spurs has one that just came out. Um, the Dortmund one. And it's fascinating the difference between all three of those clubs and coaches and just all the little things I really find fascinating with the way the locker room set up, the way the coach's office is set up. Like Josie doesn't even have a computer on his desk and just little things like that. I, I relish. Pretty cool. I'm going to spin off that favorite, uh, favorite soccer team that you follow uh, MLS overseas. Give us a few teams that you, you got to watch on the tube. Uh, it's easy. Real Madrid. Yeah. Always been that way for as long as you can remember. 
Since 2002, and because one of my favorite guys was Beckham, and that's when we he went over there, and then Zidane was there, um, and Raul. So that's the team I picked then, and uh, I stuck with them. Favorite so, all-time player then? You're gonna, you got Pele jersey behind you, but uh, you. Who's, the, who's the person you follow the most? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. De Bruyne right now, I think, is the best player in the world, um, and I really enjoy watching him. Um, he just thinks the game and sees things that, that no one else does. And My son's going to be KDB for Halloween, so good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, what's your go-to restaurant in Bellingham? There's a lot of them. Oh, that's easy. Archer. Archer Ale House. Good stuff down in Fairhaven. Dream vacation destination. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever been on a vacation. Um, some point I do want to do the resort thing, like in Mexico or some hot spot that people do. But I guess the, I want to tra- take a trip to England during the winter holidays when they have a game every two days or so and see as many games and uh, at all levels, the EPL, go watch some championship um, and watch the 21s and probably spend three weeks in England traveling around and watching games. I think that would be a, uh, that would be my, my vacation. Yeah. That's a bucket list item right there. It's on our list too, to go visit Manchester and uh, just experience some of that stuff. But uh, you know, Soccer is kind of more of a spring and fall sport. You do you have a favorite winter sport? You snowboarder, you're a skier. I, I, I dabble in watching hockey. Okay. I like the hockey. Yeah. Have you got on got on a rink? Got on skates? You, you ever tried it out? I've been on skates. It never goes well. Yeah, same here. Um, so, right. but I, I think I'll just watch. You excited about the Kraken coming to Seattle? I'm, I'm uh, curious how that's going to pan out. Um, I hope we get fans. I think we'll get fans. I, I, yeah, I haven't uh, been too up to date on it. Um, interesting name choice, but it should be fun. It should be fun. Does, does Greg have a favorite hobby? <laughs> yeah, I, I have a couple. I, I, lo- I love cars and most like the drag strip and uh the racetrack like i'll go to the dimming speedway and the so like that's one thing i missed this summer is the racetracks weren't open like skydip speedway and dimming the dirt tracks i really enjoy just i usually go by myself and just sit away from it and just love watching for two hours um but i I was supposed to go to a drag strip race this summer as well i bought tickets in advance and of course that got canceled so um so the car the car scene uh I'm fishing, trying to get better at fishing. I'm fortunate in an area where I live. It's I'm pretty close to a lake. So did that when I was in Georgia a lot. So trying to do that and then trying to be a good carpenter. You know, that's, I think those three things is what people ask me, what'd you do this summer? And I guess those three, those three things are carpenter was a lot this summer. So that's awesome. Least favorite household chore. Oh, Laundry. I hate doing laundry. I'm with you. Favorite all-time movie? Mm, that's a tough one. I just uh, I would Goodfellas and you know Godfather one and two. I'm a big guy. Uh, I love the mafia movies, 
but probably Godfather one and two would edge out Goodfellas. Um, a casino might be a, a, a tough third. So I like it. I see a theme there. All right. Are you a coffee or tea person? Oh, coffee. Way too much coffee in my body. Iced coffee during the day, warm preference? Always hot. Always hot. Simple. Just simple coffee and cream. None of the fancy stuff. But. All right. We're, we're two responsible adults here that enjoy a good beer. So last question is best Bellingham brewery to visit with a friend. That is a difficult question because there's so many good breweries in town um, and people do tend to call me a beer snob because <laughs> I do and particularly about what beer I drink, but it's like food, you know, you, uh, <clears throat> when you eat food, you want it to taste good and you don't like to eat bad food that tastes bad. So I would say K2, um, Colchin, the second Colchin for those that don't know what K2 is or, or Menace. Menace does a, a really good job as well, I think. So. All right. Two good ones. And uh, that about wraps it up. Um, great Q&A with you. We really enjoyed hearing more about you and your program. And thank you for being our latest guest on Viking Voices. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank you. All right. Go Vikings. Go Vikes.